All right, well, Lent, officially over. We get to celebrate the resurrection this morning. We get to celebrate that death is not something to be feared. It doesn't have the final word. And that love and compassion are more powerful than violence and oppression. Let me tell you a story. So a long time ago, there was a Jewish rabbi named Jesus who was sentenced to death by the Roman Empire under false charges that he was plotting a revolt. Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman procurator, knew that Jesus was innocent. He actually is recorded as saying so three times in the Gospel of John, but he still let him be put to death in a dramatic fashion. Because the messages that Jesus taught ran counter to the messages of the empire, and those were energizing the people. Right, so Jesus was out there talking about setting captives free, right, liberating those who were enslaved. And he's doing this in a place and a time and with an audience where 25% plus of the people were actually literally enslaved to the Roman Empire. And he's saying, I want to set the captives free. This is part of my mission statement. He's out there talking about fair living wages, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. He's talking about dignity for the poor and the oppressed. And he was out there challenging the underlying myth of the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome, which we still learn about like in our high school history classes. And so he was teaching that violence doesn't bring peace like Rome taught, justice brings lasting peace. And so for those teachings and more, Jesus was given a death sentence, just like many people throughout the ages who when they challenge the messages of empire and power are killed or are silenced for doing so. Right, we've got our own example. Just this last week, there were two legislatures who were expelled from the Tennessee House of Representatives for speaking up for kids and teachers who were getting shot in schools. It's not a dissimilar dynamic, right? It's actually the same message. It's don't challenge power even when power is hurting innocent people. Don't disrupt our fake tenuous peace. Right? We noted this dynamic last Sunday. How, in many ways, Jesus' death was somewhat unremarkable in that it parallels the stories of so many other people throughout history who have been made scapegoats in this way, who have had their killing or their exclusion or their expulsion justified to appease social tension. And yet, Jesus' story is different because he doesn't stay sacrificed. Right, that God resurrected their son to show us that our human sentence of death was an unjust one. Our verdict was overturned by the creator. And here's what happened on that Sunday morning following Jesus's crucifixion. So early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb where Jesus's body had been laid, and she saw that the stone had been removed from that entrance and that the body had been taken. And so she went and she ran to find her friends, Peter and John. And at this point, she seems to believe that Jesus' body may have been stolen or that maybe the Roman authorities had actually come and deliberately moved him in order to prevent that tomb from becoming a protest site, to prevent him from becoming a martyr. And so she went and she told her friends, she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. And so Peter and John, they ran to the tomb to see for themselves. And since John was the one um, to write the particular account that I'm reading from this morning, from the Gospel of John, he includes the detail that he ran faster than Peter and that he beat him there. And it said, he says it twice to make sure that we know that Peter was soundly outrun 
and I point it out every Easter because we're pretty sure that John was the youngest disciple, maybe by far. And like, I'm an oldest kid, but I kind of feel for the youngest kids. And I just want to be like, man, John, I see you. I see you. It's hard. And it just feels like a little human moment. He's like, I'm just going to make sure this is here for all time. (laughs) Peter and John standing outside the tomb And Peter decides to go inside and he sees the linen burial wrappings that have been around Jesus' body. He sees the shroud folded nearby. And so the three of them are there and they're not sure what to make of it. They don't know where to go. They don't even know how to begin to find his body or locate where it's been taken. And they were probably terrified. So Peter and John went back to where they were staying. But Mary stayed outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, She bent over to peer back into the cave and she saw that it wasn't empty. That there were two angels that were dressed in white. They were seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And that's a scene that evokes the angels that were the golden angels on the Ark of the Covenant that were hovering over the mercy seat. So that picture evokes the Holy of Holies, this place where God's presence was said to live on earth And it was saying, it's actually right here in the tomb of Jesus. And actually, it's just busted open into the garden where he was buried and into the wider world. With that stone rolled away, the presence of Jesus is now shown to be uncontainable. That the entire world is the temple of this creator, and they are reclaiming it even today as sacred space. It says, and the angels that saw Mary, they said to her, woman, why are you crying? I asked my wife this morning just to inject a little humor. So should I read it? Woman, why are you crying? <laughs> she said no. So I, <laughs> I did it anyway. <laughs> Mary replied, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. And then she turned and she saw a man that she didn't recognize who she thought was the gardener. And we know that's a detail that's not a mistake here. It is supposed to evoke that first creation and the Garden of Eden. The start of a new creation is at hand. And so Mary says to the man that she believes is the gardener, she says, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him. I will go get him. And then Jesus says to her, Mary. And the text says that she turned toward him and she pulled him to her and she held him, her dear friend, and she cried out, Rabboni which means teacher. And then Jesus told her not to hold on to him, but to go and to tell the other people what she has seen. Tell them Jesus is alive. Tell them that God has vindicated his challenging of these oppressive systems. God's vindicating his embrace of the poor and the sick and the outsider. Tell them that there's always hope because we follow a God who is living and dynamic and whose presence has been unleashed into the world. Now, my wife Rachel and I, we're both avid gardeners. Many of you who go here know this. She tends to do the veg. I do flowers with a few veg with her help. And so for the last few years, we've been um, big fans of a little gardening show on the BBC called Gardener's World. You can get it on BritBox. They don't pay me to say that. But (laughs) we really like that show. I actually have learned a lot of what I know about gardening from that show. It gives a lot of tips for just backyard gardeners like us. But sometimes they also give a little bit of um, segments on garden design. 
So last month, there was one of the presenters, her name's Eret, she went and she was showing a traditional Japanese garden. And so she was walking across this stone path that went across a pond, and the stone path didn't have any guardrails or any handrails, and it would take some like pretty jagged turns. And so she was explaining as she went across it that this is symbolizing our life paths, and that sometimes it can feel a little bit like, oh, I don't have any guardrails here. And sometimes life can take these unexpected twists and turns. And then when you get to this, she was in an island in the middle of this pond, there was a large bridge that had a, a large arch, like one of those really tall arched bridges that went over to the other side. And she explained how the island and everything that was behind it represents this world that we know, and how the bridge is what connects us then to whatever's next, to the heavenly realms, whatever comes after this life. And so that bridge's arc is so tall because just like in this life, we can't see what's beyond, right? We can sense that something's there, but ultimately it's hidden from our view. And I was thinking about this as I wrote the sermon and about how Jesus, who was resurrected in a garden and who was mistaken for the gardener, that he rose in part to give us just a small glimpse of the other side, right? Who as both the gardener and the garden designer came to try and assure us that we don't need to be afraid of what we can't see. So the very earliest Christian writers viewed death or the fear of death as like the biggest problem facing humanity. And today, much of the Eastern church agrees with that, as well as parts of the Western church, that when looking at just human suffering and violence, they're like, look, these are the biggest issues. They understand those problems to just stem from our deep-seated fear of our mortality, they said that causes us to do all kinds of harmful things to each other because we live out of this place of scarcity. So in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the Apostle Paul, he says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Right? So death is like the big baddie of our collective human story in their view. Right? So if you play video games, you might think of like death is like the final boss. Right? There's like big boss music is playing when you approach death. And it doesn't mean that there aren't other issues. You know, there's other like, what are they called? Koopa Troopers or something to deal with. But death is like the thing behind the other things. Death is Bowser. Now, you may or may not agree that the fear of death is humanity's biggest issue. I think there are some interesting conversations to be had around that. You know, Freud might add sex and fear of death as underlying human motivation. St. Augustine entered the chat, and he had his own spin that I think was unhelpful that we can talk about after. I was going to get into it, and then I was like, no, this is too much. But St. Augustine, man. But I think that everyone agrees that the New Testament writers saw Jesus' death and resurrection as a way that the Creator, with compassion, was trying to communicate with us humans that we don't need to fear death. And that if we can really understand that, that will help us get rid of sin. Now, I've explained before, I don't love the word sin. I think it's laden with all kinds of baggage in our culture. When I talk about that, I just mean things that disconnect us from God, ourselves, each other, and the creation around us. The stuff that gets in the way of us, like, having the best parts of ourselves thrive. So they're saying sin isn't the big issue, death is. And so that's why they insisted that death is not a box that can hold God. And because we're held in God and God is held in us, death is also not a box that can hold us either. And we see this echo, this kind of hope in the Hebrew Bible. Isaiah 25 tells us that God is going to swallow up death forever. Right? That's the hope. Psalm 116 says, Lord, you've delivered me from death that I might walk with you in the land of the living. Hosea 
I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Paul is quoting that in 1 Corinthians. He's kind of doing a riff on it. He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So for any of you who have sung Handel's Messiah, or friends of that, that or um, not friends of that, fans of that, right? That, that is an entire song in there. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death is the problem. There's actually a really weird verse in Matthew 27 that we often skip over in churches because I think it's a little bit baffling or maybe even a little embarrassing. So after Jesus has died, it says this in Matthew 27, 51 to 53. It says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We talk about that. The earth shook, the rocks split. We talk about that. And the tombs broke open. And the bodies of many people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. We don't talk about that. <laughs> I was like, what? There's <laughs> just people walking around. Like, you know, like the question, like, are these zombies? I think I'm going to call this sermon the zombies of Easter past. <laughs> are they ghosts? Is this like a mass hallucination after like a collective trauma? Or are these people meant to be what they sound like, resurrected humans that are just hanging around for a bit? And I think it makes sense if we understand that Matthew was trying to tell us that death not only can't hold God at bay, it can't hold us at bay either, right? It's not just Jesus who resurrected, it's, it's everyone. It might transform us though, right? It might make us a little bit different. The resurrected body of Jesus was a little bit different. Right? In our story that we read from John, Mary couldn't quite recognize Jesus until she could. And then there's another story where Jesus is walking with people on the road to Emmaus, and then he just disappears. And Jesus walked through a closed door to go see his disciples in John 20. And so the writer seems to be saying, you know, Jesus is the same, and yet he's not. He's changed. He's transformed. And so we also will be transformed. It's like a little peek over that Japanese bridge onto the other side, into the garden. So I won't get too far into this, but I just kind of picture it as that maybe after death, maybe we just experience more dimensions. Maybe there's a collapsing of the dimensions. I think quantum physics can give us a little glimpse into the possibilities of what that looks like. But even without their knowledge of quantum physics, the Gospels, I think, are meant to comfort us in this way, right? It'll be different. It's not the end. And don't worry, it's going to be okay. And in most parts of the church, both East and West, it's believed that what we do that's beautiful in this life, the things that we create, the skills that we attain and learn, and the people that we love, and the people that we receive love from, that these things carry on into whatever's next, that those go over the bridge with us. And so on Easter... Christians insist that death has been overcome. Because if the Creator can get through to us that we don't need to be afraid, maybe we'll be a little less awful to each other and to ourselves. Maybe we'll be a little bit bolder in our quest for justice in the here and now, knowing we don't have to be afraid of what comes next. Now, there's a lot of things that we get out of the resurrection story, right? There's a lot of different angles and takes, but this morning, I think there's just two things I want us to take away. I think God was taking care of two things at once. One, just letting us know there's more. Don't be afraid. Death is nothing. It's been overcome. 
And then second, while they were at it, you know, while we've got our son incarnated down here, why don't I just show you that this big thing that you humans do to try and kind of cope with your fear of death, the sin of the world, so to speak, namely scapegoating innocent people to kind of quell our rivalries and all of our violence and anxiety. It's like God's saying, you know what, while I'm at it, I'm just going to show you that that doesn't work. And so Jesus became a scapegoated innocent. And we humans condemned him to die. And God overturned that death sentence to tell us that this way of operating is unjust and it doesn't work. You'll make all of your lives better if we can realize that is what it feels like God is trying to say. And we see Jesus' death didn't quell the tensions that were rife in his time, right, between the Jewish people and the Roman Empire. Rome came in 40 years later and completely destroyed Jerusalem. Just like expelling two legislatures in Tennessee won't quell the tensions in our country over race and gun violence and school shootings, right, because it's not dealing with the underlying injustices If anything, in the long term, it just makes it worse. So the Spirit says, stop doing it. Done work. Don't fear death. Stop taking the lives of innocents. Stop doing violence to innocents. Stop expelling them and exiling them. And if we can start with those things, maybe we can create a better world. One that's a little more fulfilling for ourselves, for the people we love. Maybe a better world that we can leave for our kids and for the people that come after us. And so we started Lent with Ash Wednesday. If you remember, you get the little ashes on your forehead, right? From Remember your dust. From dust you come to dust you shall return. Some pastors will just look you right in the eye and say, remember, you will die. <laughs> and we sit in this collective sort of anxiety about our mortality together in this time. And then we get to Easter today and we remember that it's okay because Jesus is alive and death is overcome. And so we can live boldly and we can live beautifully. And we remember that we are inherently good and we are created by a good God who has compassion on us, who wants us to not be afraid, who wants us to be empowered to go out into the world and to spread love and peace and do the work of justice. And he says, you have nothing to fear in this quest. Amen. Amen. All right. Happy Easter.